Um, very helpfully, the church order is what we've adopted as churches. It, it's not essential to our, our character as a church, but it is for the benefit. It's just an, uh, some various teachings that we have agreed that this is how we'll, or various practices, it's more practices than teachings. And so it, it deals with the, the task of elder and deacon. And so I've, I've cited that there, uh, Article 23, the task of elders is to rule in the name of the ascended king and as servants of the great shepherd care for the flock. Obviously that comes from 1 Peter 5. They are to shepherd the flock of God entrusted to them. They shall therefore ensure that the gospel, and notice how it, it unfolds the character of spiritual care for us and the responsibility. They shall therefore ensure that the gospel is preached every Sunday. See to it that the sacraments are faithfully administered. Exercise Christian discipline. Resist false doctrine and error. Visit the members of the congregation at least annually in order that they may comfort, instruct, and encourage each one according to need. Visit the sick and the bereaved. Promote evangelism. See to it that everything is done decently and in order and that their fellow office bearers faithfully discharge their respective offices, having particular regard to the doctrine and conduct of the minister of the word. So reviewing uh, the minister of the word, uh, sermons are reviewed. We try and review every quarter. So and that's helpful as well for evaluation from the elders. With regard to deacons, Church Order Article 24, the task of deacons is to diligently collect alms and other contributions of charity, to faithfully and diligently distribute the same to the poor as their needs may require after mutual counsel, to visit and comfort the distressed, to encourage the congregation to show Christian mercy to those in need at home. Notice what it says here, to encourage the congregation to show Christian mercy to those in need at home and abroad to render an account to the session. And the session there is being used as the elders. We use the session sometimes to mean the elders and the deacons, sometimes to mean just the elders. So it's pretty uh, straightforward. But, but what we recognize in this as well, um, that uh, faith and life have a particular expression in the church. Uh, there's there's a covenanted character to Christian living that that has to do with our relationship to one another. God has established a, a covenant of grace with Christ as the head and mediator and the church as his body. We talked about the church being the body of Christ and and by that I, I you know we we recognize it's it's the 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 church which has a an address a presence here on earth and. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Um, I have the, the verses cited, verses 19 through 22, but go back to verse 11, first of all. Verse 11, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Now, Ephesians 2, 11 comes obviously after the first 10 verses. The first 10 verses relate that, that glorious reality that, that God works salvation by grace alone. By grace you've been saved. You who are dead. And it's very personal. It's, it's, it's the reality of being a Christian. But then he, he moves from that personal dimension to the corporate covenant dimension. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So not only when they were they dead in their trespasses and sins, but there is a sense in which they were separated from Christ. What is Paul getting at with this notion of being separated from Christ? It's more than just the fact that, that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. He goes into that covenant corporate dynamic. Listen to what he says. He says, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You, you weren't in the nation and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And then this we looked at last night, and he came, that is, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then, here's the conclusion, verse 19, that we're going to look at. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And what Paul is getting at here is that we have a relationship with Christ which is expressed personally in personal faith in, in clinging and being made alive with Christ in regeneration. But it's also expressed corporately in being the body of Christ and being the church of Jesus Christ. And we have this, this glorious covenant character um, that also relates to our expression of Christianity, that, that there's a call to faith, to believe in the grace of Jesus Christ, but also to recognize that that grace is going to be powerful and effective to change our lives so that we become obedient, that we, we live in obedience, that the law of God becomes the delight of our hearts. And so then that flows into um, this twofold conception. God is dealing with us corporately and personally in the church. Now turn with me to 1 Peter 2. First Peter 2 verses 4 through 10. Talking about the, the glory of salvation, it, it's a personal responsibility, but also a corporate responsibility. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, notice here it's plural, you yourselves are like living stones, but then there moves to the singular corporate idea, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Interestingly, earlier we talked about, uh, uh, you know, is it possible for us to obey? And we can offer spiritual sacrifices 
that are acceptable to God, but notice again that that way to do that is through Jesus Christ. It's not of ourselves, but it is always through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Magnificent truths of, of how God looks at and regards the body of Christ. And, and here, uh, particularly in, in understanding that it's not just a matter of individual uh, preference or indiv- individual perception, but it is a reflection of how God is dealing with us. We're connected to the head, and no one can survive on their own. And, and this is what we, we need to guard against. We, we live with a, a great individualism in our culture. Um, and this filters into our thinking about Christianity, that I'm just here by myself, and, and the church's design is, is to satisfy um, my needs. I think we talked about this early on this year with the combined Bible study, you know, that, that God is dealing with a people. And we are to appreciate that. And that's part of our office as well and, and the anticipation of the responsibility of office bearers that, that there is a, a corporate dimension to our care, but there's also a personal dimension to our care for the flock. We need to encourage the congregation that personally each one of us has our unique gifts and we are to be using them in the service of the body. Um, I really appreciate the new uh, creeds or confessions, sorry, not the new, new creeds, not even the new confessions, the new forms in the book of creeds and confessions. Um, with regard to the form for uh, profession of faith, we, we've just heard it, and, and it's the, the last statement, do you desire to use the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you to build up the body of Christ? I think, what an amazing way to encourage ourselves to, to recognize this is what we've committed to. We're, we're to be expending ourselves here as the body, on behalf of the body of Christ. That, that Christ hasn't given us our gifts for personal enhancement and personal development and, and personal expansion. He's given us gifts to share with the body of Christ. And that body of Christ is right here. Now, the body of Christ is broader than here, but here again, the Spirit is active with us and among us, and we need to appreciate that. Now, we need to weave, we, we've just looked at doctrine, and, and we need to weave all of that into the fabric of life and, and weave the service. So let's look at some areas for which office bearers are responsible. Worship. Worship, there's a mutual task of elders and deacons. Um, they have a mutual responsibility to make sure that, that God is being glorified and honored in the worship service. It primarily falls to the elders, but it is also for the deacons that everything is done decently and in good order. If the Lord should call you to office, that is our prayer, that is our hope, 
um, just some, some words of direction and some words of encouragement as well. To recognize that the call to worship for the church of Jesus Christ is the highest calling that we have. It's not the only calling we have. It is the highest calling we have. There are others, and, and there are others that are very significant as well. With worship, there's elements involved. Maybe now is the time to put in the plug. Um, someone was asking me about this. They'd seen this book. These are extras. If you want to read something about Reformed liturgy, liturgy is just the practice of worship. These are extras, and they're there for the taking if you want to read through um, what Dick Vanderpile writes about worship and just to see. And I think um, this is what we've recognized as a session as well. Each year we have a planning meeting and we say, you know, do we understand why we do what we do? And sometimes why we do what we do is just this is the way we've always done it. But when, for me, for myself, when I began to understand the, the biblical refre- reflection of why we do what we do in worship, it changes the whole tenor of worship. It changes the whole perspective on worship. Then, then we begin to see this is, this is actually a way in which, which we come together as the body of Christ to, to bring ourselves as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, Romans 12, to our God. And we, we put to the test his will and we see that this is, this is the wonder of how he desires and delights to be worshipped. That, that worship isn't about what I want, Worship is about what God wants, and, and there, there's huge spiritual implications for that. And as elders and deacons, we need to be encouraging the congregation to recognize that's our calling as a church too. Our calling, our primary focus as a church is to worship God and to do so in a way that pleases Him, and we, we need to keep pushing for that. Questions on that? Comments on that? Spiritual care for the congregation is also a responsibility. If the Lord should call you into office, so you have the responsibility to encourage the congregation to recognize the character of worship, but also to care individually for the congregation and collectively for the congregation. Here, particularly, the spiritual care for the congregation isn't just dealing with their souls, it's also dealing with their bodies. We have as our, uh, one of our confessions, the, the, or creeds, the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, I think it's beautiful in that um, the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ is that he is, uh, in life and in death, in body and soul, we belong to him. Body and soul. We care for everything. Body and soul. We also recognize that the primary means for care for the body, the body of Christ, is other believers. Ephesians 4, verse 12. Christ gave the gifts of office to the church so that believers, the saints, may be engaged in the work of ministry in the body of Christ. I just heard it this morning on the way here. I was listening to news talk and and they were talking about smoking is what it was. And they were applauding New Zealand's efforts for eliminating smoking. I think we're supposed to be smoke-free by 2025. And the guy who was talking about it says, yes, we have a high rate of smokers, but New Zealand is being praised in the international circuits 
for the endeavors they've taken to eliminate smoking from the population, though we have a high rate. And the guy got on there and said, yep, we're doing really good, but the government needs to do more so that we have less smoking. Isn't that how we look at it? It's not a matter of personal responsibility. It's, it's another government plan to have people be forced to be forced negatively not to smoke. So with taxation, with plans, with programs, and, and all that kind of thing. Sometimes I'm afraid that's how we view the office bearers within the church. There's this opportunity. Well, what's the session going to do with it? Or what's the session going to do for it? Whereas there needs to be a, a care within the body, or there's this need that we have. There's this crisis within the congregation. What are the elders going to do with it? And we, we leave it to them, and we step back. Whereas it's, it's the, the responsibility of the body. What can we do about it? And maybe it'd be good to go to the elders and say, I see this need. Can we address it in this way? And then for that with the elders and deacons to, to encourage that and cultivate that within the congregation. I think that, that's one of uh, the characters of spiritual care. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Probably from a young person's perspective and being in a room of people who would aspire to office, so I can encourage yeah. to, to keep that in mind uh, and respect that that can have. Yeah. Don't you think that also is the benefit of, of being, to rec- being able to recognize that there's primary things and there's secondary things? And so if, if we say worship is the primary responsibility we have, then we can, we can approach that differently than we approach everything else. And so while we have to regulate worship, other things don't need that manner of regulation because they're not as significant. If it doesn't affect worship, then, then you just kind of, to a degree, can step back a little bit and say, carry on, there's freedom to do this, go ahead. And yeah, 
And it also r recognizes that sometimes, and, and we get to that next with office bearers, sometimes the office bearers are, are trying to work in terms of the expectations of the congregation also. That a congregation may have those expectations. Well, we won't do anything unless we have the, the stamp of approval of the session. And, and we need the stamp of approval or we can't do it really. And, and sometimes a, a, a congregation can be hampered by that. And a session can be hampered. Well, do we have to rule on everything? We don't have to rule on everything. I think the scripture is pretty clear on that. But we do have to guide and lead. And, and I think that's where, as well, a, a session is not a regulatory agency the way the government is. And thank the Lord that that's the case. <laughs> Um, there is that potential, though, and and that's where I think it depends on how we approach that. There's also that freedom that there are some things in Scripture that we we should not make rulings on per se, because they don't relate to worship and and they don't affect the body of Christ. We have to be careful. We can give encouragements, but that too is where we need to be careful. Um, anarchy is a, a very strong word. I think there is a sense in, in which we need to be encouraging Christians to express their Christianity in a way that's faithful to him. Yeah, but that comes with a whole raft of other liabilities as well yeah and that's where i'm just dealing with reformed churches because that's where i i think that's also the beauty of the system in the sense that as as well that that there are limitations on that that the lord imposes upon us as office bearers and that's what the congregation can appeal to as well saying listen you're being overly restrictive the lord hasn't called you to this that's the primacy of the office of believer. That there is this beautiful relationship between a believer and, and the office of believer and the, the special office. And it's the appeal to the authority of God's word. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And I think that too is part of spiritual care for elders and deacons to say, so how are you going to deal with this? 
and we'll help you, but let's work this within the congregation as well. Yeah. But I think that stems back to a faulty, a faulty view of office. And yeah, and it, it's culturally there as well. I mean, we're fighting it on on all fronts. It's not just historically there within the church, but it's also there within the culture too. Yeah. I know, it, it's the most phenomenal thing. It, as an American, it, it's, it's one of those things that's, it's, it's a worldview that, ooh, I, I just don't get it. Honestly, I don't get it. You guys are so, Kiwis are so ingenious in what they can put together with number eight wire. It is phenomenal. And yet, there's this restriction, and maybe it hangs over from from the class distinctions in in uh, England. You know the tall poppy syndrome. We can do amazing things, but we don't want anyone to know about it because the tall poppy gets cut off and picked. But we just step back and and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. So before you quit smoking, wait for the government to come up with the perfectly tailored cigarette. <laughs> no, program. It's going to be a program. It's not going to be a cigarette. It's going to be a program. Or to escalate the tax so much. Yeah. Take up... No. <laughs> Well, what people do is start smoking cannabis, because that's going to be cheaper. Yeah, I know. But anyways, now we're on a different topic, way off. Oh, you guys. Office bearers as well, okay? Responsibility. Not only do we have a responsibility for the church, but we have a responsibility for each other, for fellow office bearers. And and here too, the, the beauty of... of the, the system of government, a Presbyterian system, a Presbyterian system of government simply means that we're run by elders, that Christ has entrusted the authority of the local church to be primary, and the broader assemblies there function there to hold us accountable to our primary responsibilities and to hold us accountable to the Lord. And that's the function of it. So, And then uh, lastly, just a little bit with regard to reading services. This, if you know, as you aspire to office, even as a deacon, you, you may be called upon and asked to do reading services. Again, I would encourage you with regard to Reformed liturgy. It can be the most daunting task to, you know, we, we see worship and we observe it. I had this when I entered into the ministry, you know, celebrated the Lord's Supper frequently. But when you have to get up here and, and do it in front of everybody and, and make sure you get everything sorted out, and that's just the Lord's Supper. A worship service is a whole different scale. And so with a reading service as well, to, to recognize your place is to, to exhort the congregation in their growth in Christ. Um, with choosing sermons, this is why we have sermons that are, are read from ministers. 
and also in choosing songs to to target the the their relationship with Jesus Christ to encourage the congregation with that. Um, no, it's not. I'm aware of the practice that it isn't necessarily, but it does, I think it is most appropriate when we recognize that the Holy Spirit functions through office within the congregation, that it's better if it were office bearers who were doing the reading, but there are liabilities with that. And I'm aware of the practices within New Zealand that not every office bearer is capable of doing a reading service and, and I'm okay with that and so other readers have have come in but I think there the session has to take a special measure as well to recognize that's the exception it's a legitimate exception but recognize as well it's not just um, that's not the, the rule and and similarly it's not lay preaching it's not lay preaching it, it's someone reading another minister's sermon. Yeah. Because the goal is the worship of God and the edification. It's a multiple goal, the edification of the congregation. Good. I'd just like to finish up, if there, unless there's other questions. If there's other questions, I'm happy to entertain those. But I'd just like to finish up with a revision, just of everything that, that has been touched on. And, and it's why office bearers and who and, and to work through that. Why office bearers? This goes back to the first discussion last night. And with that first discussion, very simply, because the Holy Spirit is working among us through office bearers. And just as soon as you say that, there's a thousand reasons why we move to that next question and we say, really? We live in a performance culture where performance is everything where success is measured by the number of wins that are anticipated. In a performance culture where flaws and weakness disqualify. And as soon as you say that the Holy Spirit is working and is presenting Christ to us, the immediate question is, but these are flawed, weak, Office bearers, men. Are you going to tell me that they show the Holy Spirit? We have to by faith and not by sight. With church office, it's not a performance measure. It's a faithfulness to God's Word that actually... Actually, and I think that's the discussions that you were having, that's the reflection of Corinthians. We didn't touch on Corinthians last night. So I'd like to just close 
with a consideration of that, that we have this treasure, the treasure of the work of the Holy Spirit, the treasure of the work of Jesus Christ in jars of clay. This is 2 Corinthians 4. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God is working this way. Do we trust that? Are we confident? Do we recognize the biblical character of this? The world despises it as foolish. It looks at the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Christ and him crucified, and says that doesn't measure up to our standards. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, it is the power and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is power and wisdom. And that's what's being administered. So just as soon as we say, why are we so concerned about office? Because we recognize the Spirit is working through that. We need to step back from our performance model and we need to stand. And he uses, the Holy Spirit uses to show the power of God. He uses weak and flawed people. That's the wonder. How do you prepare for that work? Well, what sort of work is it? It's theological work. It's helping God's people to see how Christ is involved in every area of life and in all of our thinking and all of our understanding. Resisting the false ideas that are so prominent around us and focusing our faith on the truth of God's word and how to practice that as God's people for the upbuilding of the body. That's our responsibility. That's our calling. I hope that God helps us to, again, appreciate the wonder of what he has given to us in office and to encourage you as well. It is, it is one of the, the blessed opportunities that the Lord gives to us to serve, to see, and in that service to see how he is working amongst God's people. He does that. And that's the, the blessing. So, good. That's it for the training. We went a little longer this morning than I anticipated, but we're pretty close. So, good. Questions or comments? Ah, just as you depart, there's one final thing. Uh, just pass this around. This is, um, this is something the session has worked out many years ago. Um, one of the, the blessings, and, and keep praying for the session for the elders. Um, they've developed this on their own, and I think it's magnificent. I think it shows sometimes when ministers come around, the, the elders kind of step back and say, there you go, minister can handle it all. But I think this shows, again, the, the value and the, the blessing that, that the elders have been able to work and develop together. So this is just to help you evaluate personally where you stand with the Lord and, and as well how to prepare for office. So there's some practical helps in that too to work through and to, to consider. So I do want to leave you with that and encourage you to, to think through that and to continue and to encourage you by all means to aspire to the office, special office within church as, as a, a believer. So, good.
Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time. We're thankful again for your word. We're thankful for the encouragement it gives us about the work of Jesus Christ among us, that by the power of your Spirit, you are active here within uh, the Reformed Church of Hastings. And we're thankful for that. And Lord, often we, we look with the uh, eyes of the flesh and, and we, we see so many uh, uh, struggles and yet help us to see with the eyes of faith the blessing of, of your work among us and, and also the work of the Holy Spirit and to encourage this. Lord, to encourage our, our brothers and sisters in the Lord with the, the calling we have as prophets, priests, and kings to carry on in the service of our Savior. And the, the, the primacy of that, the encouragement that we all have to live out the Christian life. We pray that you would help us also to, to aspire to this special calling of, of office bearer, uh, either as an elder or as a deacon, and, and the tasks that are involved with that. Lord, they, they, we seem so, so weak and, and frail, and yet we know that it is you who will bless the ministry. Lord, we pray that you would be with us in what remains in this day. We pray as well that, that you would bless this teaching and instruction to our hearts and to our lives, that, that we may look upon uh, the church with the eyes of faith and see the glory of what your word is teaching. We ask now that you would bring us again to this place to worship you tomorrow, and we look forward to that. So be with us through this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.